welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 7, 2 Nephi 6-10. through 10. Oh, how great the plan of our God. This week's guest is Ken Krogh, founder of Inside Sales. All right, welcome to another episode of our Book of Mormon Evidence, Come Follow Me Supplemental Study. Uh, again, we wanted to reiterate that uh, this is the, uh, the manual here. Um, we want everybody to have gone through the manual, so this is not to take the place of that. This is actually to supplement that. We just want to make sure that's really clear. Um, so we have, uh, we've had uh, some amazing experts in all kinds of different fields, and today I have uh, with me a dear friend of mine, his name is Ken Krogh, and uh, we are excited about having him come and share some insights involving scripture study in general and some, uh, some ways that we can actually enhance that, how yeah. we can become more engaged in the scriptures and things, and then, and then also uh, talk a little bit more about Isaiah, because uh, um, Ken has worked with uh, some of the top scholars on Isaiah, and yeah, we're coming into the Isaiah chapter. Kind of been the, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those stickling points. How many of you, I mean, being honest here, <laughs> have actually read up to that point and then you basically skip over the Isaiah chapters, you know? It's true. And then you go, or they skim it, pick out it, mark the chart a little bit yeah, later yeah. on, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh -huh. um, brothers and sisters, we want to encourage you to take this year and become Isaiah experts. Absolutely. And learn what is in Isaiah. And there's some tools we can use to do that. That's exactly right. And then as a student of the Book of Mormon and a student of, of uh, learning these things, what are some of the steps? I mean, you, you talked about uh, five criteria or, or yeah, you know, five. Yeah, you know, when we, we, we launched a website levels, called searchisaiah.org a couple years ago. Oh, huh. And, um, SearchIsaiah.org. .org, okay. yeah. And, and, and that was a project we decided to do, uh, my little nonprofit. We, we had a staff of about 10, 11 people. We decided to really get into the most difficult, challenging uh, book in all of Scripture, frankly. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've always, you know, I, I was a marketing director for Infobases, and we scanned in all the church books and yeah. kept track of all the cool things. And, and I started my own personal study of the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. And, and the Old Testament, but I could never figure out Isaiah. Isaiah, yeah. You know? So honestly, I would skip it, or at least skim it, you know, and try and figure it out. I think we're all guilty of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this project was just thrilling, because we, we decided to go interview every LDS scholar and researcher who has really anything to do with Isaiah. Yeah. And we've got videos. I mean, we, we interviewed, it's funny because there's, there's a real, you know, uh, clear, Academic uh, scholars at BYU, yeah. you know Sean Hopkins and 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 uh, Victor Ludlow and Ann Madsen and 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 just <laughs> and then and then there's the they, may, they might not teach all the time at BYU, but you really know their names. Like John, by the way, yes. has one of the top books on Isaiah. People don't realize that yeah, Isaiah for Airheads. Air he <laughs> calls himself. He says, "No, don't. I'm not. I'm not cutting you down. I'm the Airhead." But it's beautiful, and it's one of the top-selling books to get started on Isaiah. To help people to get over this aversion to diving into it. Doing yeah, a deep dive. and he makes it fun, as, as he always does. Yeah. But he came on and filmed a lot of really fun content for us at Search Isaiah. But this, you might not be aware of this, but the, but the person who has by far the most books sold on uh, the scriptures altogether 
was yeah. a wonderful author by the name of David J. Ridges. Ridges yeah. In fact, he has more books published than all scholars and all general authorities combined. People are like, whoa! He has 34 major publications on the commentary of the scriptures. And they've all done very, very well. Yeah, his Book yeah. of Mormon Made Easier series, volumes one, two, and three, are, are selling off the shelves right now. And they're, you know, they sort of address the, the middle of the bell curve, the, the get me started, get me going. Um, you know, he's a, he's a patriarch, has held lots of great callings, and he just has a beautiful way of, of just walking you through the basics of the scriptures. Now the scholars, you know, they go one direction, and then we had this fun thing that we did. Um, you know, I, I come from a technical background, and so I have you know ways I look at things a little bit different. I use the computer a lot, and we went out to Amazon because Amazon publishes the rankings of all the books, and we okay. built this software yeah. that would screen scrape the rankings of all the known books that included Isaiah. By anybody else. Their title. Yeah, their okay. titles. And and it would show what ranking they were. And the ranking changes almost immediately based on sales. So the lower yeah. the ranking, the, the more popular the book. Yeah. And and we started having little competitions between all the different, you know, authors <laughs> on Isaiah. And we looked at the ones who were from Deseret Book and the ones who taught at BYU and, and that's how we saw um, what the trend lines really were of the books. And, and there's 25, 30 pretty amazing books, books on, on Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah. So that's. And, th and these, that's, are, these are primarily uh, books put out by members of the church? Or yeah. This, this, there's, there's way more than that. Yeah. I was going to say, there's way more. This worldwide. was just this people just tied to the church. church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Yeah. So we learned a lot. And, and our goal was to meet pretty much every one of them. Yeah. And we didn't meet all of them. Some of them were retired and some were, you know, on projects, but most of them we, we brought in and, and had them share some of their content with us. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, uh, just to get started off, you know, that probably one of the big questions that's going to be out there is, is well, why? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why, why, why this big emphasis on Isaiah? I mean, who was the guy? What, why, why is his words more important than anybody else's words? Absolutely. And so forth. And so, Especially uh, to Nephi. Uh, this is from the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon on page 42. Uh, this is from 1 Nephi chapter 19, verse 24. It says, Hear ye the words of the prophet, ye who are a remnant of the house of Israel, a branch who has been broken off. Hear ye the words of the prophet which were written unto all the house of Israel, and liken them unto yourselves that ye may have hope as well as your brethren from whom ye have been broken off. Wow. For after this manner has the prophet written. So let's, let's just kind of go back and just get a background on Isaiah. Yeah. So who, who was he and, 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 uh, and why, well, why is he so important? Well, and what, what's so amazing is um, to Lehi and Nephi and their families, Isaiah was the prophet. He was sort of the dispensation head. He was their Joseph Smith. Of, of Lehi and his family. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah. we quote the prophet Joseph, they were so familiar with him, they called him the prophet. <laughs> you know, unless they say something different, that's pretty close to who they were looking for. And, and he really shaped their mindset. You know, his, his stuff was really technical. And, and, and Nephi... Um, countered his own style, he, you know, he said, my stuff's plain and simple, but if you want, you know, if you want difficult, or, there's Isaiah. But yeah. Isaiah was so beautiful and, and so many layers. 
and the prophecies, you know, a lot of people say, well, the prophecies of Isaiah are really historical because what he did was so unique. He used historical imagery to actually tell us what was going to happen in our day. So his stuff, because if you go back to all of his historical background, they don't always match what really happened. He picked and different icons from history and put them into Context a prophecy of, of our day. Okay. And he sort of wrote them in code. So you have to figure out, like for example, a lot of the prophecies that are about the biggest superpower in the last days who has global dominion, lots of power. Well, in his day, that was Egypt. So in our day, who would that superpower be? Well, we, it probably well, is Egypt America. Is probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he so talks who is about a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you start, you start saying, okay, I'm, I'm look at what he means by mountains, and what he means by trees, and what he means by rivers and floods, and precious metals, and every one of those is a code. Mm -hmm. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus Christ quoted from Isaiah when he came. Yeah. And a little bit later in his uh, dissertation to the Nephites, he gave a commandment yes. in Third Nephi 23 to search diligently the words of Isaiah, for greater words of Isaiah. And I thought, there's never been another yeah. book of Scripture that Christ himself commanded us to search diligently. Yeah, we have actually Nephi in the very beginning exhorting us to do that, but then... You have the ultimate authority, Christ himself, commands and he says, us yeah. you know, to, to do that. But let, let me just, uh, this is from uh, 1 Nephi chapter 19, in verse 22. It says, Now it came to pass that I, Nephi, did teach my brethren these things, and it came to pass that I did read many things to them, which were engraven upon the plates of brass. So obviously the plates of brass yes. were really important. They went back Critical. and risked their lives and gave all their fortune so they could just have this set of brass plates, right? So, this is, so, that's, so clearly that's important to them. That they, that they might know concerning the doings of the Lord in other lands among people of old. So they knew they were going to go to another land, this land of promise. Yes. That that story is about the people of old over there, the brass plates were. And I did read many things unto them which were written in the books of Moses, which was part of the, the brass plates, mm -hmm. right? But listen to this. It says, but that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord their Savior, I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah. Yes. So more persuasive than the books of Moses, more persuasive than those books on the brass plates. He's, there's Nephi basically saying that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord their Redeemer. Yes. I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah, and I did liken all scriptures unto us that it might be for our profit and learning. The, uh, verse 24 says, Wherefore I spake unto them, saying, Hear ye the words of the prophet. That's what I'm saying. So they didn't yeah. even call him the prophet <laughs> he's, Isaiah. He's the default. They didn't, have, they didn't yeah. have to differentiate between it. They all knew which prophet they yes. were talking about here. Yea, uh, ye, excuse me, ye who are a remnant of the house of Israel, a branch which have been broken off, hear ye the words of the prophet which were written unto the house of Israel, liking them unto yourselves, that ye may have hope as well as your brethren from whom you've been broken off after this manner, has the prophet written. And then you start with uh, 1 Nephi chapter 20, which is the first Isaiah chapter yes. that you're going to encounter as you, as you, be, as you continue forth in your, uh, your, your searching of the Book of Mormon. And uh, just for information, um, 
want to point out this is the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, which we're using as the reference material here. I love it because it's got some really neat differentiation yes. of the comparisons between the Book of Mormon version of Isaiah, as quoted, compared you know, to uh, the King James Version, yeah. and, and, and where those... And they came are, from two different sources. Yeah. Let, let's go through that. They're not the us, same. Let, let's, let's share where those two sources came from. A, a, so lot of came. Our, a lot of our folks who are critics of the Book of Mormon, yeah. they say, well, all Joseph Smith did was he went and copied, copied the, King the King James, James and popped it in to the Book of Mormon, but that's not what he did. <laughs> now, the King James language yeah. he definitely used, yes. But one of the one of the best ways, in fact, the the, the five levels of scripture study. So it's uh, let's go through those first, and then yeah, I'll, I'll, that. I'll show you how to really do a comparative is where you get to level four. So level one is what I did for years. It's one of my favorites. I just skipped it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, in fact, you know, Elder Holland even said that if it's too hard, well, you're just getting started. He says. Don't let it stop you. Yes. And keep moving ahead and get through those key places like 3 Nephi 11 when Christ comes. Yeah. Don't let, don't get bogged Learn down. Learn the storyline. Just skip so it for now. You have to for now. And the key yeah. is make it all the way through the Book of Mormon to Moroni 10 where you can claim the promise to find out by the power of the Holy Ghost yeah. if it's yeah. true. And then if it's true, and it is, by the way. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> now you've got the, the Holy Ghost to go back and help you work through the works of Isaiah. So, so level one is skip it. And again, I only skip it for the purpose of finding out big picture, a macro version of the Book of Mormon, yeah. and getting a testimony. Yeah. Then go back. Level two is skim it. You're still probably not going to get it. Yeah. But you're going to hear some beautiful phraseology. You're going to start understanding a little bit. Read the chapter headings and just skip through and say, okay, what's he talking about? Yeah. Now, there's some debate about the chapter headings. Yes. You know, but we can yeah. get to that later. Level three is read it. Okay? And that's what we most that do. That means just plow through every yeah. word, basically. At Search Isaiah, we did surveys and we said, okay, what level are you? <laughs> and solid members of the church, almost all of them read at level three. They just read it like a novel. And they got their check for the day for reading a chapter or some verses or pounding through it. Level yeah. four is where it gets tough. And that's where you study it. I'm not even sure I knew how to study until I really jumped in to Isaiah. But the, but the one that Christ actually commanded us to do is level five. Which and is? that's to search it. Yeah. To, in fact, he goes even further. He says, search diligently. And I didn't know what even the word diligent meant. So I asked a few scholars, what does the word diligence even mean? And, and the best one um, came from Avram Gileadi. We surveyed all of them, and he said, diligence means to see it through to the end, to finish the course of your yeah. study. I thought, whoa. So Christ wants us to, to end, go basically. through yeah. until we get it, till we get the message he's trying to share with us. How many times do you think you'd have to go through it to be able to get the full message? Or do you think you ever really... You know, Victor Ludlow's gave us a really good plan for that. He said yeah. five. He said, if you'll take a chapter in 2 Nephi or 1 Nephi, that's an Isaiah chapter, and if you'll just read it through, first time, go through it, big picture, and go back, and if you'll look at about five times, it starts leaping off the page, and you start figuring out what a lot of those metaphors and symbols and parallelisms mean. And Chauncey Riddle said the same thing. He said, read it about five times. Not the whole thing, but just that, just go through it. 
And I, I have to tell you, though, I am very grateful for people who have actually kind of outlined some of these things, yes. like Abraham Gileadi and, and uh, yeah. Well, and Abraham Gileadi is a little bit and, controversial. And, you know, uh, he, and, he, and uh, you know, David Doan and others. That, you know, there's a lot of people. Yeah. And, at BYU and, as they, well, and all three of those that you've things. quoted come from a Jewish background, which is actually what Joseph Smith says, excuse me, what Nephi says. But why, but why is have. that important? Yeah. Well, right yeah. in the first of the Book of Mormon, it says that, uh, that it was written in the ways and manner of learning of the Jews. So if you don't understand the manner and the ways of the Jews, I you're not going to fully meant. understand it. Yeah. So those yeah. three scholars you've mentioned, they, they sort of came up in that tradition. They grew up that way or they were converted that way. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, we went out there and, and back in our little ranking of all the books, yeah. you know, the top 25, yeah. um, the time we did it, there were seven books from Deseret Book that were in the top 25 from the scholars. Several of the, of the scholars had printed in smaller book uh, publishers outside, yeah. and there were seven just by Avram Gileadi. So that's how we really, I mean, yeah. he has spent like 40 plus years. Yeah, he's basically devoted um, his entire life to this study. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. he, he um, has had some challenges. For, he's, he's got some, some pretty amazing things. And, and the challenges, I mean, he's been challenged by some of the other scholars who've decided to take the sort of the traditional academic view of Isaiah. And it's pretty controversial. You know, I, I got to know a little bit of your background with, <laughs> with uh, the Book of Mormon geography and the DNA. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is controversial. So I said, I'm going to go do Isaiah. There won't be any controversies there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I was wrong. I was wrong. And, and you yeah. know, two of the biggest Whenever you ones, take a position in any direction, it's oh, going yeah. to be controversial. People say, well, well, we shouldn't be controversial. Well, you know. Let me tell you, folks, uh, Joseph Smith, was he a little bit controversial? Absolutely. How about Absolutely. Jesus Christ? He's not controversial at all, is he? Yeah. He, he, no, uh, he's he caused a little trouble. Very controversial. <laughs> because Satan always yes. is going to try to counter what happens. Well, you think about it. And there's going to be different viewpoints. Satan doesn't need to rally something that's not against something that's not true. You know, He doesn't yeah. create counterfeits unless there's a truth somewhere he's trying to mask. People forget that. Yeah. So if, where there's controversy is where there's probably an important truth and lots of counterfeits around yeah, that's it. That's right. So Trying um, to keep you from an understanding of the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the adversary yeah. wouldn't care otherwise. Yeah. But you exactly. know, and, and, and you know, we talked a little bit about some of our things we might want to talk about today, but I've got something we didn't mention that I want to bring up. Yeah. Um, probably the most controversial topic about Isaiah is what's called the Deutero and Tritero Isaiah. Have you even heard? Have you heard that phrase? The Deuteronomy. Similar, but Deutero means second, the, yeah. and Tritero means third. Okay. So what happened, and it's pretty relevant, especially lately with Trump, yeah. because um, people have called Trump sort of a new Cyrus, mm -hmm. and um, you ask me who uh, Isaiah was, and I, and there's others more qualified than me to talk about who he was, but Isaiah did something pretty remarkable. He prophesied about the coming forth of a man, a king by the name of Cyrus, who would have a pretty dramatic effect. And he did it 150 years before it happened. Well, wow. in about 1100 AD, the scholars were going through that and said, well, that's impossible. Nobody could have done that. So they came up, they started with a theory that said, well, there had to be multiple people who wrote the book of Isaiah. And someone must have lived at the time of Cyrus. And added it to it. And added it to it, like a committee. Like there was the Isaiah committee. <laughs> and that's actually the prevailing 
um, theory and, and thought on where Isaiah came from. They said there was a first Isaiah, a deutero or a second prophet. Isaiah, yep, a second Isaiah who added to it, and a tritero or a third Isaiah who rounded it out. And it might even be more than that. And that is by far the prevailing theory on who was Isaiah. Because he couldn't have been, he couldn't have had the ability to actually prophesy. Now there's more to it than that. I'm a simple guy. I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. But that's really what it came down to. Uh -huh. Was Isaiah able to prophesy the future or not? And the prevailing wisdom is that he, he was not. He really wasn't. So there was others who did it. So you're not really a prophet then if you can't, you know, because a, pro a prophet yeah. basically, you know, being a prophet, seer, and revelator has to do with time frames. You know, a prophet, yeah. basically somebody who, who, who testifies of things that are going on in that time frame. Yes. You know, a, uh, a, a revelator, somebody who's going to tell what's going to happen in the future, and a seer, somebody who understands what happened in the past. Absolutely. It's past, present, future. That's why a prophet, seer, and revelator is actually literally part of the definition of what truth is. Yes. It has that time element to it. And, and, and this is challenging for our scholars. They, they've been put in a really difficult situation because our, our scholars, you know, at BYU, there's three kinds of professors. I don't know if people realize this, but, mm -hmm. but about 80% of the professors at BYU are a research professor. Right. And their, their job is to research and publish through, through peer-reviewed peer nationally this recognized is journals. This mainstream yeah. peer-review processes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And outside of, I mean, there's a couple of BYU journals, BYU studies, a few of them, but most of them have to be outside BYU. So it's a right. non-LDS, non-Christian, non-God In fact, we were just scenario. having a conversation with a BYU professor, and he basically said that they are really almost sign on contract that you have to do work within. If you're, if you're in yes. this particular track, yes. you actually have to do work within your field and get published in mainstream. Yes, and some of my dear, dear friends are these scolars yeah. that do this. Yeah. And 13% uh, of the scholars at BYU are teaching scholars. These are folks like Brad Wilcox and Hank Smith. Yeah. And, 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 and what their job is, is to, they're not really held accountable to the, to the research and the peer review studies. Their, their job is to teach to the teach kids. The students, and yeah. their teaching load is significantly higher than the research professors. Mm -hmm. And then there's about 7% of the BYU scholar, uh, BYU professors who are a professional track. And, and they come out of the workforce, like my dear friend, uh, Robert Walls. He and I were the co-chairs for the social media mission in Utah County for the last five years. I moved. I'm no longer and in the he county. He was also the uh, anchor man for one of the news. Yeah, Channel 4, Channel news, 4 news. And, yeah. and um, you know, he spent 15 years in the professional track. Yeah. And now he teaches journalism, although he's sort of moved into more current things like social media, <laughs> and uh, uh -huh. he's, he's a bit worried about the journalistic, uh, yeah, you know, the, the future of journalism. Yeah, there's journalism gotten really yeah, strange and, lately. Yeah, yeah, and, but, but uh, he is professional track, and others like James Ingebrigtsen taught 10 years. I just spoke with him on the way here. And that 80% that, that who is required to publish in peer-reviewed journals that really don't admit God into the process have some real challenges on their hands. And some of these are dear friends of mine, and, and, yeah. and, and it's, it's difficult for them to portray their personal beliefs in their careers because the system doesn't really allow it. That's right. If they, if they don't, if they don't tell, tell us very specific 
yes. you know, party line, if you will, yes. then they're not going to get funding. If they don't get funding, they don't get published. And if you don't publish in this particular case, yes. then you literally are, you, they have signed on the contract that they will publish or they have to publish a certain, to a certain level, or they can actually be, you know, released. I mean, basically, exactly or, right. or even gone. Yeah, they're accountable to publish or perish. That's, that's the phrase. Publish or perish, yes, right. And, and they've done some amazing work. You know, yeah. and and we and we tried to highlight that on Search Isaiah. But isn't that Isaiah. sort of like uh, you know trying to do a job with your hands tied behind your back? Yeah, it if is. You, if your it job is. is to teach the kids at BYU the the principles and the truths of the gospel, but you're not allowed to because if you mention anything about the gospel or anything about God or anything about you know those kinds of concepts in your research, basically you're not going to pass muster when it comes down to non-Mormon uh, peer review. Yep, not going to happen. You got it. So they're stuck in this. See, and we got a chance to interview place. all the every one of these guys. Pretty much, we got a chance to talk to, and several opened up off the record and tell us it's challenging for them. It's really hard. Got to be hard because, yeah. because that that's something that they they want to represent their belief system, but it's really difficult out there in the in the academic world to do that. So that was eye-opening for me. So that's the first How, most controversial. Is that eighty-three percent or something like that? Eighty eighty percent of the professors at BYU are research. Are in that track. Yep, thirteen okay. percent in the teaching track and seven percent in the professional track. Wow. And and the the professional and the teaching track have about a two to three x higher workload of teaching the youth, the young people than the research professors because they're mm -hmm. they don't have as much of a teaching load. Yeah. But most people don't recognize that. That that's a and so and and. And, and that theory has been woven in as a foundation upon which a lot of things are built on at BYU. I was yeah. surprised. Yeah, actually, we, we were having a conversation uh, again with another uh, professor at BYU recently, and he said, you know, back in about the 70s is when this started to kind of change over yes. from a more, he called them a scholarly approach, which is basically people who are well-based in the gospel, well-based yeah. in the uh, in, in The Truman the, Madsons and, and the so forth. Hugh Nibleys. Yeah, yeah. And, and he called them scholars, and then yeah. he called the others were basically the academics, which are people who really can't talk about these gospel-related things. They're in academia, yes. and they basically have to really kowtow to the academic side of it. Yeah. Even if they don't like it, <laughs> if it's not yeah. something they prefer, but they have to do it or they... And I've worked very closely with about 15 of these wonderful yeah. people and, and I've, I've been able to hear, you know, as we go to breakfast or lunch, yeah. the challenge that they face. And, and that was something that's I wasn't aware of. a big challenge. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So do you know what the second controversial thing in Isaiah is? What? Um, Right next to the Deuterotritero, it's, <laughs> the, what, it's the, the, the servant. It's yeah, the, Davidic the Davidic servant, servant yeah. or the suffering servant, um, <laughs> and who that person is. I mean, it's the most debated subject. <laughs> Everyone we talk to has a different opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think we lost count yeah. at 18 identities of who the servant <laughs> yeah. is. You uh -huh. know, There were those um, in the Bruce R. McConkie period that felt it's Christ yeah. all the way through. And others, to the other extreme, think the only time Christ is really the servant is in Isaiah 53, which was actually the chapter that was taken out of uh, the Old Testament for the Jews. They, yeah, they don't they, have they, that they, chapter. Yeah, because they don't believe in Christ, so... Yeah, it's very controversial. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, everything from, I mean, some thought it was David O. McKay because the Davidic service is going to be called David. And, <laughs> and, and some say it's Joseph Smith and John the Revelator. Well, that, one of the early, uh, Party P. Pratt, I think, had one of the early versions of the Book of Mormon said it was a, a, a Lamanite a Lamanite prophet. prophet? A Lamanite yep. prophet. Yep. You know, Joseph Smith had a prophecy about the, the, the servant who would be called David in the last days. Mm -hmm. um, Orson Hyde, when he dedicated... Uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem for the return yeah. of the Jews. Yeah. He prophesied that there would be a direct descendant of David who would one day uh, assist in the leadership of, of mm. Jerusalem when the battles are going on and the two servants are out there for yeah. holding back the forces of, at Armageddon for three and a half years. Yeah. Um, and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, um, all through Isaiah, um, Malachi, uh, Christ yeah. Himself. Uh, that, that's some really interesting. So, so those two, <laughs> those two controversies, I was unprepared for. I'm like, whoa! I thought I was going to do a calm, though difficult, project with Isaiah. I yeah. said, Heavenly Father, you really want me to do Isaiah? <laughs> but, well, one, one of the things, interesting. And, and maybe this is kind of getting off the subject a little bit, but basically, um, it, I find it really fascinating that in the Book of Mormon, which we know as a, as a a foreshadowing, it's a precursor yes. of what's going on in the United uh, States yeah, today and what's going to happen in the world. Um, here you have the Nephites right before Christ comes. Yes. And, um, and you have the prophet, they have their prophet by the name of Nephi. And yet some, for some reason, see, pe people have this, this idea that there can only be one prophet at a time on the earth. Yeah. And that's just a not, not true. I mean, no, there was multiple at prophets at the time yep. of Lehi mm -hmm. and so forth. But here we have the prophet Nephi with the Nephites. And the people are basically not paying attention to him. They're, they're not listening to what he's been telling them. And so the Lord brings in a different prophet from the Lamanite side. Yes, Samuel. absolutely. He was not part of the Nephite brethren, was he? No, they, they, they didn't recognize him. In fact, they're going, I'm sure they were saying, who is this? This, you know, this low-life you yeah. know, Lamanite guy. They tried to kill him. Trying to teach us we're the nephites we're the we're the enlightened ones yes a and lot, yet, and a yet lot they, like the jews at the time of christ yeah and yet they wanted to kill him mm -hmm. but then i found it really fascinating when christ came with and to the nephites and he was with nephi one of the things he asked him so so did you write that down about samuel the Lamanite? i said him well i meant to <laughs> well get it done yeah <laughs> you know? yeah that's how important it was that they that we knew that there was this other servant and, and why did the Lord have to bring another servant? Because the people weren't listening weren't to listening. the servant that they had. Yes. So God had to bring in a second witness, uh, basically against them. Yeah. So, and, and when you and it read, was from people who would be completely not the people you would expect they would be coming from. Absolutely. And when you read those chapters where Christ is speaking in Third Nephi, there's some amazing references continually back to Isaiah. And, and, and those patterns and you know and, and the thing that was really interesting was was Nephi himself why yeah. that's the big question I call it Nephi's journey right so <laughs> so so you know his his dad has the vision that you know that I, that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed yeah. and says we got we got to take uh, and go to the wilderness with our family he sends his boys back three times for the plates sends them back for the for the girls, that one's important, you know. <laughs> Gotta have posterity. <laughs> yeah. You can't have it without some, some sisters in, <laughs> yeah, in the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And Ishmael and his family, and they go out into the wilderness and do this. Go out to Google Maps and chart from Jerusalem to the Arabian Desert where they, you know, took off and see how long it would have taken to walk that. 
I'm yeah. thinking four or five months, but they were out there for eight years yeah. in the wilderness. They had a wilderness experience a lot like Israel did Wandering. after Moses. Yeah. Something that, was happening an out there. Of it. Yeah. And there's some amazing transformation that Nephi that had especially during the eight-year period. You know, so, yeah. so, you're, so during that time, he had this amazing vision after his father did. His father has the tree of yeah. life in First Nephi 8. By the way, I want, I want to point out one little thing. That eight years thing, uh-huh. um, that gives them actually time to plant and harvest. Yes. Which, I mean, they were, they were in this, you know, that, 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 this desert, you know, this barren desert area. A few much. nice little oasis, but most of the time they were out there. With, <laughs> but, yeah. So they, they, had to, they had to replenish their food. And so they actually would have had time to actually plant and harvest over oh, the course yeah, of eight years, to. possibly. Absolutely. But that's just something that, that people don't realize that you know you could cover that whole thing in about three or four months if yeah, you were it's, it's not what well we stocked and you had and you had your camels and so forth and you could just yeah. go straight through. But they didn't. They they stopped and they were apparently doing a lot of other things and hunting and, and trying to survive and having children along the way. Absolutely. Anyway, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... No, no, that's that whole journey. There's a physical aspect as well as a spiritual one. Yeah. And, and, and my big question is, why did Nephi put in Isaiah? That was my question. And so I, I decided to go big picture. This would be a skim model of scripture study. Yeah, so I, w- I wonder how well would Nephi have known because he was a young guy when they first left. Oh yeah, he was probably late teens. I'm yeah, thinking. Exactly. So that how guy well loved would he have really known the teachings of Isaiah? Yeah. But it says he was. He was. But over the course taught, of eight years, yeah. he had a chance to assimilate. There's the plates. Because he had the plates. Yeah, and those brass plates were, you know, at least 600 BC. Mm-hmm. So they would have been actually the they oldest. They're pretty current. They would have been the oldest known frame. copy of Isaiah. We don't have anything that old today. So that's pretty yeah. interesting. Even the Dead Sea Scroll. They're not that old. Is, which, is, which is interesting that yes. it happened to be Isaiah. <laughs> Absolutely. Know, was, again, the only complete, complete you know, scroll. Book, uh, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was Isaiah scroll. Yeah. yeah. So Nephi's out there wandering. Uh, of course, you know, there's the Liahona. They come out one day and it's sitting there in front of the tent. Yeah. Um, but for eight years, uh, they're going through this process. And then, then Lehi has his dream about the Tree of Life mm-hmm. in Chapter 8 of First Nephi. Yep. Uh, right after that, Nephi kneels down and says, Heavenly Father, I want to have that dream. I and know. I have faith. So he has four chapters of vision, starting in chapter 11. Mm-hmm. And he has shown all these amazing things. Now, Nephi was a completely other end of the spectrum from Isaiah. Because Isaiah was difficult to read. Nephi was plain. He, he, liked to get, he, he gloried I'm, in plainness. I'm going to spell it out for <laughs> Let me you. There will be no doubt. I will leave no doubt. Right? So... He, uh, he has four chapters, and then even an angel comes back and tells him what it means. So the Tree of Life was taught three times, but then he's taken into our day, and, and he prophesies of someone coming to this land, we, you know, yeah. Columbus, Columbus and, so and the rise of a great nation, and yeah. the fall of his people, and, and he's going through all this, and then all of a sudden he gets to our day, and he says in First Nephi 14, I was forbidden to say more. And he was told, I saw what John the Revelator saw. And, and, and the Spirit of the Lord stopped me and said, that's done. You can't, you can't tell what I, what, what's there. I'm like, yeah. whoa. And then he just pretty much stops. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing ends. And now there's like four chapters. And then all of a sudden, we go into Isaiah. Yeah. I wonder what Nephi's trying to tell exactly. us Exactly. 
Exactly. So he the said, very I, next I, thing I, I he did. I, I think personally, and I think you think the same thing, is that basically he was restrained from saying directly, the thing he wanted to tell openly, us. and as clearly yes. as possible what was going to happen. He was, because he was constrained, he said, well, I'm going to have to do it through Isaiah. Isaiah. And Isaiah was authorized to teach what was going to happen in our day. So why, why, so why the secrecy? Why, why not just have Nephi just open it up and just tell us all exactly how it's going to be? Great question. Because <laughs> later, later in 3 Nephi, Christ commands us to go back and search diligently that very part. Do you Something think it's because, must be um, because there are things that are too sacred for, for some people to be able to, to understand? And I think that so. God wants us to put so. in the effort, yep. which is one of the things that we want to, uh, to really point out this year as you're going through Isaiah, that you, that you put some... in the effort and it will repay you yeah. multiple times In fact, times for the over. first time where we've skipped it before or just read it, I would say do a deep dive. I did that personally, yeah. and, and I went through all of these authors. I mean, I, I had to edit my <laughs> writers, and they were like 400 articles, yeah. you know, and we interviewed all of them, and every one of us gave us a little bit of a tidbit on something. That, but, but, you know, right wow. in Isaiah, Isaiah says, and this is a little bit graphic, he says, don't eat meals of vomit on the table. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> but but think about it. Things Someone else's pre-digested meal, don't eat what a commentator does or teaches you. Go directly to the scriptures. I mean, you can use what they teach, but go to the scriptures yourself, study find it, out pray it about it, learn the tools, you. and find out what the Spirit teaches you from Isaiah. And I finally did that. You know, I had a calling at the time I was serving in the Salt Lake Temple. And, you know, those five and a half hour shifts get long in those long hallways <laughs> and that's where I spent yeah. nine months and I counted almost 300 hours taking the tools these wonderful researchers and scholars taught me but then going to the Lord myself and one day sitting in the Salt Lake Temple reading 1st Nephi 20 and 21 like, he showed oh, me word. what he was what's there and I thought whoa and and I've, I've found that uh, there is some amazing things, um, great and terrible. And if you go through all of Second Nephi, he teaches you what's going to happen in our day. In fact, right after that portion in Third Nephi 23, yeah. Christ says, what was will be again. Yeah. And, and, and those patterns that, that Isaiah saw, and he used historical images from what was, is what will be again in our world and in our time right now. And I believe that Isaiah and probably Daniel are the most specific prophecies and maps of this seven to ten year period of time in history. And they're the only ones fully authorized, along with John the Revelator, to be able to share, to share them. And Nephi could because he's too dang plain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he tells it like it is. And, and the Lord said, no, I yeah. want him to work for it. I will try the faith of my people. If you look at the three or four times in the Book of Mormon where someone was forbidden to say more, yeah. Nephi, Mormon, Moroni, yeah. once he said, I will try the faith of my people. And I believe that Nephi's journey really, leads um, to that. Really, almost every prophet has had certain things that have been shown or told or revealed to them that yes. they were told not to divulge. Absolutely, absolutely.
And it's there. And I bear witness to you, the Lord will show them to you if you'll pay the price. And so what we did for about a year and a half is we tried to bring all of the resources together in one simple place. We're, we're more in the spirit of Nephi than Isaiah, but we point you to those who spent their life's work studying Isaiah. And, and, and some of the best interviews we had were uh, Robert Kay. He grew up Jewish. Yeah. Better than almost anybody there, he knows the ways and learning of the Jews. It blew my mind the levels of truth he, he teased out of the words of Isaiah. And it's right there. So it's great to be able to have these kind of things, but my, I guess what you're, what, what you're saying is, is that um, we should glean from the best books, yes. the best information that we can, but don't stop there. Yeah, you Keep going, keep pushing until you have your own understanding. Yeah, the, the, your and, mind will not be opened up till you've paid the price and gone directly to the Lord in yeah. the words of Isaiah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that may help, um, just, just to, again, um, for those of you who are using the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, um, the, the, the first Nephi chapter 20 is on page 41. And um, as you start in on that, you're going you're gonna to see compare Isaiah 48. Yes. It says, but note, underlined words differ from the King James Version of the Bible. So this is this is the first ever edition of the of the Book of Mormon that actually has yeah, highlights the change. Highlights the change. So you can see just by looking at it, if it's underlined, those that phrase or those words are different than what the King James version says. And you can actually go back to a King James version and actually compare the two. What I find is fascinating is if you I understand if you go back to the original Greek, which which was being used by King James as he made the English, you know, translated version. Of the of the Bible, that if you go back and did a a, a modern day translation of the Greek, mm -hmm. that it would actually come out closer to what Joseph Smith ended up having in the Book of Mormon. In the Book of Mormon, because it yeah. was a more pure yeah, translation, closer to through, the source. Yeah, through through the Lord. But what's amazing in those side by side comparisons, and we didn't have this available at the time. I wish you'd have had it. You know, two years ago, but we so we just took out a Google spreadsheet and an Excel, and we cut and pasted. I'd recommend you do this if you're really serious and you want to search diligently and study. In fact, level four was study, and Robert K says to study one of the best ways is a side by side comparison yeah. between different versions. So you can see not only what's yeah. there, but you can also see what's not there. Yes, or what's and what different. thing was changed. Yeah. Like like if you look at um, uh, Isaiah 48 and 49, that's actually the chapters that were put in 1 Nephi 20 and 21. Just go do those two. Because that's, that's the transition where Nephi put in Isaiah to tell us what he couldn't tell us. <laughs> oh, I have spent so much time in those two chapters. And, and you've got to start with a side-by-side -side comparison. Literally, verse by verse, and mark in red or whatever code you want to use, uh -huh. the... Uh, the differences, and, and, and you're going to see some amazing, I mean, like Isaiah 48 compared to 1 Nephi 21, the whole first verse is almost completely different. Yeah. and In fact, we, uh, we actually make that notation here on page 42 of the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon at the bottom. And uh, if you go to you know, 1 Nephi chapter 21, this, it has this the entire whole portion piece. here. It says, and again, hearken, O ye house of Israel, all ye that are broken off and are driven out because of the wickedness of the pastors of my people. Yea, all ye that are broken off, that are scattered abroad, who are of my people, O house of Israel. 
end of the thing, that's, that's all where, new. That's where King James Version now starts at, listen, yes. oh, Isles, uh, oh, and, Isles and, unto me. And for a, a while, they're the same, and then it changes again. Yeah. And sometimes there'll be a verse side by side, you guys, where Nephi just changes one word, but he reverses the meaning, completely reverses the meaning of the verse. I'm like, whoa, if that word hadn't been there. So there was, some, and we know yeah. that there were some things changed mm -hmm. in the early translations of the Bible. You mean from King James? From King James, yeah. 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 So, so Nephi's yeah. version had one word slightly yeah. different than the King James. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I get tongue-tied. <laughs> <laughs> I get too excited. But, but this has been one of the most profound personal journeys of my life. Yeah. It's interesting because here Christ tells us that we should study Isaiah. Yes. And here we have in Isaiah, he quoting, he's quoting Christ. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. So you have this crossover, this linking of the two of them as they as they uh, you know bring as Nephi basically brings this information forward. Yeah. And one of the first things Nephi told his little brother Jacob to do, quote Isaiah. And then Nephi went to town. <laughs> I mean like umpteen chapters in a row through most of Second Nephi. Yeah. quoting most of the chapters of Isaiah. So we did that whole thing in our research project where we did a side-by-side -side comparison of every chapter against from the King James back to the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think we may put them out there if folks would like. We've had a lot of requests for them. We'll put them out as downloads out on searchisaiah.org if, if you're interested. But the place where it really got beautiful was in Mosiah when along comes Abinadi. And because he got into quoting, remember, he's, he's being faced down by the priests of the wicked King Noah. Yes. And they're trying yeah. to, and, and, and his life's on the line. Yep. And he just faces them and he quotes Isaiah. And he quotes the same most difficult chapters, and the one that got ripped out. It. And he we explains were, we it. We were just talking about uh, midrashes and how they, that these midrashes were used to explain yes. the scriptures. And here's Abanadi basically, in the Book of Mormon, he's giving us these midrash understandings or these additional deeper understandings of what was what the scriptures were saying and he's given it to us but now we're getting it absolutely <laughs> and he's given it to king no i should say now we're he's given it. it to him big time <laughs> <laughs> yeah he made yeah. him a little bit upset you know <laughs> yeah. to the point where he lost his life Enough to kill him but but yeah. just like just like the brothers of nephi weren't allowed to touch him till you know when the, yeah. when the lord didn't want him to Touch um, me not, because I haven't delivered my message yet. Yeah, and he held him back, and he got he got the words out, and it was those very core chapters, you know, 50, yeah. 51, 52, and 53, the most controversial chapter of all of Isaiah, the one that is not even in the Jews' Bible, <laughs> because it clearly prophesies of Christ. Yeah. Whoa. And, and, and he hits it pretty hard. Yeah. And, then, and then you go along for a while, and, and uh, the next really, really big... Uh, the biggest portion in all the Book of Mormon about Isaiah is Christ himself. Yeah. And boy, exactly. he, as you can imagine, weaves it together like no other voice in all of, of Scripture. Yeah. You know, he adds a little bit of Malachi. And, and, he, and in fact, he, he, he makes really, really clear from uh, about chapter 20 to 26, 27, all the beautiful things of, of Isaiah. And he weaves them into a prophecy, again, of our day. And he expands very clearly because he's authorized. Yeah. He authorizes himself to yeah. pretty much share what's going to happen. Yeah. And if you read it clearly, it leaps off the pages of what Nephi was forbidden to tell us. Yeah. 
So, oh, what a journey it's been, you guys. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I'm, I, I'm just a hacker, software entrepreneur. Yeah, and th another thing I wanted to bring up, though, and that is that uh, when Christ was with the Jews, and, he was, and they were surrounded with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so forth, he almost couldn't be really direct with the people because it would right. be very undermining and, and really kind of in your face as far as the, the Sadducees and Pharisees. So he spoke a lot in parables. He did. But how many parables did Christ give to the Nephites when he was with them? None, no, zero, yeah. no parables. He spoke directly to them. These were people who were prepared to hear yes. the word of the Lord. You know, he, he laid down they the, were at the, temple. These the, were the Beatitudes temple again. You know, he, he, his most famous, you know, right when he came, he, he taught the, the Beatitudes one more time. Yeah. And then, frankly, he goes into Isaiah. And yeah. He launched his ministry with a scripture from Isaiah. <laughs> so there's some beautiful things, and, and you know, Handel's Messiah, most of the words come from Isaiah. Yeah. So inspiring. I, I, it is inspiring. Words, beautiful, yeah. beautiful words, but we better figure out what they mean because we're accountable and we're commanded to search. So that's the last two is, is the study, level four, mm -hmm. is study the scriptures. And I had never really done that. And that's where you do the side-by-side -side comparisons and the, and the chiasms and the literary uh, mechanisms that are embedded in the Book of Mormon and in Isaiah especially. This is a little note. The chiastic structures, if you don't know about the chiasms or where chiastic structures are, uh, again, in the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, we, we tell you about, the, not only do we tell you about the chiasms and, uh, and so forth, and, but we actually also um, will show you, this is on page 44 at the bottom, it, it talks about where the word chiasm comes from, et cetera, Beautiful. et cetera. But also, throughout the Annotated Book of Mormon, the chiastic structures are actually noted. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, just very briefly, basically, you have, like, uh, you know, concept A, concept B, concept C. Then it will return back to and repeat concept C, goes back to concept B, and then concept Almost A. Almost like an arrow. Yeah, so, so it's a, a, B, first C, should be last, last C, should be first, a. it's a reversal. And the funny yeah. thing is it seems to point, it's like an arrow pointing to, this is really important. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and where it makes that transition, yeah. and it can be like one, one, two, three, or some of them are up to 20, 23, 24, yeah. um, you know, topics or, or I should say subjects in the chiastic structure, and then and it, and where, it, where it turns back and goes back the other direction, that's the main point. Yes. A lot of people don't even know that the entire book of Mosiah is a gigantic chiastic structure, wow. even though it jumps back and forth in time. Which again, you'll see this uh, spelled out in the, in the annotated Book of Mormon. But you'll see one of the one of the first chiastic structures is actually on page forty-four, it's First Nephi chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-three, and you can see that the uh, it says uh, they, they shall bow down to thee with their face. So A is face towards the earth. That's B, concept B, and lick up the dust. Well, what is the dust? It's the earth, yeah. right? So the, that's con concept B again. And then it says, of thy feet, which is, again, um, a part of the body. Like the face and the feet are both parts of the body. So that's a, that's a little chiastic structure there. But you'll find even more complex ones as you go through. And, and again, you want to you pay a spirit, you know, close attention to where that actually changes. Yes. Um, from, you know, and returns back to the original concept and hits back in the other direction. Because that's really the focal point of the chiasm. Yeah, it's incredible. It's awesome, and, yeah. And then, and then you look at parallelisms. I mean, oh my gosh, the work that's, that's gone into that. 
and 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 uh, yeah. so so you'll have a sentence that, that says a group of words, and then the next sentence mirrors it, but it uses different words to describe the same thing, which allows you to realize, you know, like the word mountain probably word means nations because it, the Lord or the, the the prophet Isaiah uses those words as parallel in the same sentence, mirroring each other. So he's telling us they mean the same thing. So from then on, <laughs> the word mountain means nations. And you can understand. And you more can now understand what he's trying to tell about us. About that, yeah. You know, so that, that, that goes into the phase five then of your That's, of your that's, five that's levels, where you right? start moving from study to search. And that's where just it really gets powerful. And that's where you really do need some of these tools that these scholars will give you if you'll pay the price. And, and, but the most important tool we as a church don't even seem to use to search effectively. We used to, but it's sort of out of vogue. It's called a concordance. And a concordance is where... Um, and, and I was amazed. You can go on uh, Amazon and eBay and you can buy concordances that the church used to offer. But a concordance is where they literally index every single word in yeah. the Book of Mormon and they tell you where to find it. Now, if you want to find a concordance of the Book of Mormon, you have to go out to the University of Michigan. There's an online concordance <laughs> and you type it. I, I use it all the time. I use it every day. Uh -huh. But I never did until I learned how to search. And, and here's what I found that's so amazing. So you basically go, you find that word that you want to yeah, you know type more it in, about. And, and it shows every time it occurs in the entire Book of Mormon and which reference it is. Okay. So it might occur 10 yeah. times. Every time, you know, you hear scholars say, well, this word occurs 664 times. They had to have used a concordance to find that. Yeah. But when you're searching diligently concepts in Isaiah, you have to have a concordance. Like, for example, the word river or flood. Okay, a river will flow up over its banks. Now, that same word river is used many times, but if you put the word river into the concordance or the word flood, you'll find that one of those instances tells you what Isaiah means by river or flood. It's actually the forces of the king of Assyria or the Antichrist. And so when the river flows up over its banks, it's the armies or the forces Are of this Antichrist flowing up over and invading the land, like a river, like the Mississippi when it overflows its banks. Mm -hmm. But you might read, you know, a couple dozen of these different references and all of a sudden, boom, I call That's it the, the key reference, the key definition. And now all of a sudden you know what the word river or flood means and you can go back and say, oh, there we go. And you'll find that Isaiah is spot on. He keeps consistent with his metaphors. And so you can do that. So as you start decoding and, and figuring out what these different things mean, it becomes really, really clear to you. Yeah, well probably one of the, big, one of the greatest tools you can use to try to know which one of those is, you've got to have the Spirit with You've got to have the Spirit, absolutely. Because that's and, the only and, way and you really you know And once you pay the price, the Lord like, just leave. I remember again sitting in the Salt Lake Temple, you know, on my shift when I have to sit there for you know, 30 minutes in a hallway with one person coming down the whole time, and I've got an Old Testament right there. And all of a sudden, I'm looking through it and I'm saying, there it is. It's like that verse lit up to me, and I realized, ah, that's what that, that's what that word means. And, and from then on, I had decoded that word. And as you keep yeah. searching, the meanings start becoming clear, like the word righteousness mm -hmm. and the word salvation in Isaiah mean something pretty specific. <laughs> and, and, and they're code word, you know, and, and I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That, that, would, that, would, uh, that would deprive you of the opportunity to, to do the, 
to do the work and to study it out and find it out for yourself. In fact, it's interesting because yeah. we were about to do some of that on Search Isaiah and the Lord stopped us. Yeah. The Spirit just made it clear, that's not your job. It's not ready for that. You promote tools and, 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 and give testimony, but um, be really careful what you share that you've yeah. learned about Isaiah. And so uh, what a thrill it was for me to do that. Um, but it's a journey that I would challenge you to take. Again, the five levels is skip it till you've got a testimony that it's true. Skim it so you Skim. see big picture. Read it so you can have the Spirit with you all the time and take advantage of the New Covenant, even the Book of Mormon. And I counted 44 promises the prophets and apostles have given us if we'll just read it daily. But then move into study. Do those side-by-side -side comparisons. Learn about chiasm. Learn about parallelisms. And, and pay the price, and then go get a concordance, and go through and search diligently what it really means. And it's going to leap off the page, and you're going to know what Nephi wanted to tell us, and what Christ did tell us. So, it'll blow so, your mind. So when somebody does all this, what are they going to, what, what can they expect to now know? Well, Joseph Smith said that I, you know, when he said the book of Revelations, also he said, it's one of the clearest books ever written. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 it, and as you've, as you've read it so many, I, I don't, I can't even count the times that I've read, especially Isaiah, you know, Isaiah 48 and 49. Yeah. Because but you're going to have a clarity of the next seven to ten years of our day. And you're going to find that Isaiah saw our day, but he put it in code so it would make it past all of those people who were going to change things. And that, that, that's, that's good, why. That's another good point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it got there, here There were people unsullied. who wouldn't understand, and so they, they, they don't know how to properly change it to, to alter the, the message. Yeah. Whereas yeah. it's really clear, you know, this, this country is going to attack that country, and this is going to happen here, there's going to be a profit there. Uh, it would be easy to say, well, you know, we can change a few things here. So, so go get started. Go, 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 go get the basics going. Go, go really, you know, Get Isaiah for Airheads, which John, by the way, amazing stuff. David Ridges will walk you through Isaiah made easier. Um, but then you just have to start paying the price with some of these scholars. And, and, and I'd say open up the pages, but keep an open mind because I'll tell you this. Some of those most controversial issues, they have their opinions. And I don't agree with all of them. Some of them, I, I mean, some of them, they brought they, me the keys that I They can't all be right because they, they say different things. They oppose each other, yeah. And we counted 18 different identities of the servant. <laughs> they can't all be right, you know? So yeah. find out what the, what the Lord tells you. And, and do you believe in the deutero-tritero? Or do you believe Isaiah was a single prophet who actually had the ability to see the future? You're going to have to decide for yourself. And... Um, and pay the price, and, and, and I hate to say it, but don't eat the vomit on the table from somebody else. Pay the price. <laughs> Isaiah said that, not me. <laughs> pay the price and find out what God has for you in, in, in those, those yeah. chapters that we've never quite figured out before. They're my favorite now. Yeah. So now, um, my hope is, is that as, as uh, you've heard, um, some, of the, some of the things, I, I think you call it, what do you call it, a... Uh, how how you how you can crack the code? Yeah, crack, crack the, code. the code, brothers and sisters. It's time for us to crack the code of Isaiah, be able to uh, to know more about what is happening because this book was written not for them in their day. This book was written for yes. us in our day. That they, they, they had no reason to uh, you know they had no ability to actually to to read what was in this book. Yes. 
This is all about us in our latter days and it's preparing a for the it's things that are going to happen. And, and think about it. When in the history of the church has there, you know, this is the 2020 year, the anniversary of the first vision, yeah. and, the, and, the, and that was the only thing that preceded the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. So that's next. But this is the, this is the first year where all the auxiliaries of the church have come together to study one thing at the same time, the Book of Mormon. This is important, you know, and, and I've got some dear friends, you know, my old mission companion, Michael Madsen, works in church headquarters, and, you know, he's in charge of doing a lot of these things that promote, uh, you know, like this new youth and children program and, yeah, and, and the face-to-face, yeah. -face. and he says, Ken, this is landmark. This is a year where we're all reading from this book yeah. and we're studying it together, and the parts that have always stopped us, I would challenge you, jump in, you'll figure it out. The Lord says, he will adapt it to the capacity of the least to the greatest. We can all figure it out. He'll make sure of it. Yeah. And 2020 is, I mean, it's going to be four more years before we do, as a, as a church, yeah. the Book of Mormon. And I think there's going to be some very significant and important things that are going to transpire I do too. Um, in the next four years. It's a big and deal. It, it, so, it, it, you know, so we want to encourage everybody to take the advantage to, uh, to actually Take this year and, and, and search these things and out. And study it at home. That's what Come Follow Me is all about. That's right. Actually read it ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> and be prepared to share that. The th some of the things that you've learned and so forth, prepare to be able to, to share some of that yes. with your fellow members in gospel doctrine classes. And that's what that's, what that's all about. We try to edify each other as we learn yeah. these things through the Spirit. Well, thank you for having Ken, me. Ken, thank today. you. It was wonderful to have you here, Absolutely. and uh, I hope everybody has had, uh, you know, got some new ideas of, of ways you can go about going ahead and uh, going ahead and, uh, and, and uh, searching. Um, Five levels. <laughs> skip, skim, read, study, and then when you've done all that, search. you're qualified to search and diligently until you figure it out, because you'll figure it out. And then you got to just basically endure. Yeah, hang on, baby. To the end. Because <laughs> the ride's about to get bumpy. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you uh, again next week. Thank you for listening to the Book of Mormon Evidence Podcast. If you enjoyed this Come Follow Me supplemental study, click the like button or share it with your friends. Be sure to go to bookofmormonevidence.org where you can buy tickets to the upcoming Firm Foundation Expo held Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, April 9th, 10th, and 11th in Sandy, Utah.